Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Welcome to episode 67 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm back this week with an interview with the one and only Lily Chin. Yes, the most famous knitter and crocheter probably on the planet. We had a really long conversation, and this was actually back in the summer when I recorded this. Lily was about to make a stop in West Michigan. She was at a Grand Haven knitting shop called The Nautical Yarn, and I didn't get to meet her. I'm still disappointed about that. However, we had a lovely chat. Lily really has been on the crocheting and knitting scene for like 25 years. She's been on everything from late night talk shows to morning programs in cities all around the country. Lily is going to give us an insider's view of what it's like to be a designer, you know, writing books and designing yarn and working with top fashion designers in New York, which is pretty exciting. She's worked with the likes of Vera Wang and Ralph Lauren, and it's going to be fun for you to hear some of the stories of what it's like to work under pressure, scrambling to get things ready for Fashion Week. She's also going to talk very candidly about the lifestyle of a designer. Stick around after the show, and you'll learn how you can get in on the drawing for Lily's last book. It's called Couture Crochet Workshop, Mastering Fit Fashion and Finesse, and it's really a, an interesting book. Okay, so without further ado, let's get to that interview with Lily. Hi, this is Lily Chen speaking. I am live from New York City right now, and I am just recently in my 40s. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really appreciate this, and the folks at home have been asking for you for a while, because I ask people to tell me who they want to hear from next, and your name has come up several times. So I'm glad to finally be able to answer this call. And where I usually begin with guests and what people usually want to know about people who are into the big names in the art and craft world is we all want to know like how you got your start and, and how this began. And I'm really curious about just your kind of creative you know, heritage and your history, like how you got started in the needle art. <laughs> well, let's see. I was maybe about eight when um, my mom was very desperate to keep me out of trouble. I was the sort of kid who took apart the toaster because I wanted to see how it worked. <laughs> and so she stuck knitting needles in my hands, and she cast it on for me, about 20 stitches. She taught me to knit, but she never taught me to purl, and she never taught me to bind off. Oh, boy. But she gave me the 20 stitches, cast it on, and I was knitting. But all of a, all of a sudden, the 20 stitches became three, and I got frustrated, and I chucked it. So my mother was really desperate to keep me occupied otherwise. Um, so then she gave me a crochet hook and some yarn, and I took to that like the proverbial duck to water. Awesome. I mean, I found crochet to be so much easier. You only had one loop to contend with. You know, you didn't have to hang on to all of those. And I thought it was just so, so much more um, easy uh, to work. So I mastered that very quickly, but... It wasn't until, until I was about 13 that, that I went back to knitting and said, I'm not going to let this thing lick me, you know? Well, good for you. I learned to crochet when I was five, and then... Wow! I did, but I didn't go into knitting until, like, my early 20s. 
because uh-huh. I tried knitting, and I, I want to say I tried knitting probably about when I was like 12 or 13, and I just found it to be so frustrating. Same thing you said about the two yeah, needles. Yeah, pretty early. That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, I wasn't very good. I, I still have no, cannot hold the candle to Lily Chin, but, but um, I have to say, though, it, I, I just loved it. I, I found that it was just, um, I made a lot of granny squares, and what types of things were you making when you started out? Oh, the same thing. I mean, granny squares and crochet ubiquitous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was really, actually, I, I hated to do thread, but um, I did do some thread work. I did some table runners and tablecloths, and I actually sold things to my friends' mothers and the security guards and the teachers in school. Oh, wow. That's I was, great. Yeah, I was entrepreneurial, like, you know, in later grade school and junior high school. Well, that's awesome. So did you ever put it down? I mean, did you, or did you find that you were always like, after school working on things? You know, some people take hiatuses from them, but I found that it was pretty constant for me. Mm-hmm. And I found that because I always multitask, it was just the best thing to do uh, while I'm doing something else. So, you know, I'm studying, doing homework, but I could do a few rows, you know, that sort of thing. And certainly you can do it while you're watching television or whatever. And all those rides to and from school on the bus, I mean, you know, um, you can always find a moment. Well, that's the great thing about both knit and crochet. You know, you can you can always bring it with you. And, you know, you, you can't bring a sewing machine on the bus. I mean, you could, but that would be quite, a, you know, fiasco. Um, so, and also electricity would be a problem, you know. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I'm also a machine knitter. I've been machine knitting since 1982. And same thing, portability issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's the ideal thing to to better use your time. All that dead time that you have waiting at offices. You're waiting for the doctors or waiting at the post office, you know. Well, I actually knit when I'm waiting for my computer to boot up in my office. And Sometimes I'll have a good 20 minutes of just, like, dead time. And if I have, don't have enough uh, voicemails, to, you know, waiting for me, I check on my voicemails, and then I, I, I get so frustrated if I can't start working. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get angry. I don't want to start the day angry. I'm going to start the day knitting at least a couple rows, and so I do. You've got a slow computer. <laughs> I have a, we have a very slow computer at work. It's crazy. So I thought, well, there's you, I could complain about it, or I could just happily knit at my desk. And so I'd rather happily knit at my desk. Well, you know, I've heard of a lot of people who um, knit at red lights. For that reason, it makes, you know, that weight that much more palatable. Now, do you knit at red lights? Well, you know what, Jennifer? I don't even know how to try. <laughs> I am a tried and true New Yorker, born and bred. Good for and, you. So, never even learned how. You know, and I have to say that, if, I mean, Grand Rapids is not... Well, you've been here. Um, we don't have the public transportation system that New York has. I mean, we don't have the, the infrastructure for it. But I would love that. I mean, people say, oh, you know, I don't think you'd like to ride the bus. I'm like, oh, but you know what? I totally would because someone else is driving and I get to knit or crochet or do whatever craft I want, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, I'm a little jealous of you that you get to travel around um, and not have to, and you get to knit and crochet everywhere you go. I'm curious about, do you consider yourself a knitter or a crochet? Like, do you prefer one to the other? Oh, that's like asking which child you like. Uh, <laughs> now, I'm not a mommy, but I know you are. I am. So, yeah. which one do you like better? I can, yeah, of course, that's an impossible question, yes. Because I know you have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Yes, I do. I'm I'm a little bit um, crazy, and it's like a miracle that they're both asleep right now. I have, <laughs> The gods were really smiling upon me. I, the gods of craft were smiling upon me right right now. The fact that we can talk uninterrupted is, is a miracle. But, um, but yeah, so, so it sounds like... Well, you, you took to crocheting right away. 
uh, you knit all the time. And now it's just kind of like part of your life. I mean, you're, it's almost like being ambidextrous. You know, you can just do either one and it's not a, you don't have a favorite. Are you saying you don't have a favorite because you don't want to alienate one camp? No. Okay. I like them for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Just like your kids. <laughs> They each have their own personalities, and they can produce different things. Yeah. So you appreciate it all. Well, what what can you just talk about that a little bit? When you compare knitting and crocheting, up until recently, it seemed like you know the knitting knitting is just so popular right now. And I've always been a crocheter who came to knitting later in life. So I love crochet still. I mean, I'll never change about that. I and but I I knit quite a bit now myself. But can you talk a little bit about the differences between the two? Because if there's people listening that knit and don't crochet or they crochet and don't knit, can you maybe talk a little bit briefly about the advantages and disadvantages as far as design goes? Um, what? Well, I think that anybody who doesn't know certain rudiments of the other craft, they're doing themselves a disservice. I would have to agree, yeah. And what it is is that I am, if you are a crocheter, I'm sorry, but there is nothing like a knitted rib. That's you true. You try to do that sideways into the back loop, you know, single crochet, mm-hmm. but you're still not going to get that flexibility um, of a knitted rib. For knitters, I'm sorry, but you should get to know the rudimentaries of your single crochet because there is nothing like a single crochet trim, especially backward single crochet. Um, the cordage, you know, some, some people call it the crab stitch, but there is a, a wonderful, you know, um, firm trim that you can do with uh, crochet that you really cannot achieve in knitting. And so I think that you should certainly know those rudimentary things so that you can um, just do better, fra- do better products. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that they each have different rhythms. And for me, I really like to mix up the two because, number one, you will avoid a repetitive stress syndrome that way. Mm-hmm. But number two, um, I think that you can open up a whole new world of possibilities. And that's very true. I know that I, they complement each other so well. I mean, and, and there's a lot of um, design-wise, I mean, to be able to blend the two is wonderful, to be able to blend the two. And I read in your book, Couture Crochet Workshop, which is fantastic. It, like, demystifies the whole design process for those of us who don't have your experience. So I want to thank you for writing it, first of all. But you talk a little bit about in, in here your, your, the work you did in a, as a child in a, in a sweatshop and working with paper patterns and how that is kind of really gave you quite a grounding as you worked your way up and continued to work with, uh, you know, manufacturing. And this, this was with garment sewing. Is that what you were doing at the time? Well, I didn't actually sew the garment. But I you were in... doing all the odd jobs. Okay. And uh, we should explain to people that, um, you know, growing up in New York City, there are tremendous advantages. And one of them is the opportunity to work in the garment industry uh, beginning at age 13. Now, some people would consider it child labor because I was in these sweatshops, um, you know, at that age, after school, during the summers, um, Mm -hmm. and on weekends, but there is nothing like that, you know, from the ground up education. Mm -hmm. And that gave me an inside, um, you know, look uh, that, that very few other people get. So I was mostly doing things like payroll and um, you know, and the odd jobs. If the buttonholer was out, I was doing buttonholes. If the thread cutter was out, I was cutting thread. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily sew at the machine because, in all honesty, I'm a miserable seamstress, and I have a hard time sewing a straight seam. However, 
being that I could see, you know, uh, how pattern makers achieve, um, you know, the, the garment shapes, and being that I saw how uh, drapers create garments from scratch, mm-hmm. that gave me the knowledge of garment making, period, from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So all I did was I took those concepts, those theories that are used for material that are cut, and I just applied it to crochet first and then to knitting. And it's obviously served you very well. <laughs> and by the way, even though it is called Couture Crochet Workshop, um, I think that knitters will also benefit from it because, let's face it, you know, fitting is fitting, and a garment is still a garment, you know, depend, regardless of uh, the way you achieve that shape and, you know, that fabric. Well, yeah, I think the first part of the book, anybody who's doing anything in garment design, even if they're, you know, working with fabric, I think it's it's really interesting to just you know, see how you do it. And um, I have to say, I was almost gasping, though, on page 37 when I thought, I didn't, I just looked at the, it's the page where you have a photocopy of a swatch and you're drawing on it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is she drawing on the actual, you know, because it looked pretty realistic. And so I kind of did a double take on that. But um, actually, there have been times when I actually have drawn on the swatch. Really? Really? Yeah. It's a swatch, you know. The whole point of doing a swatch is so that you could play. Mm Mm-hmm. And you've not committed, you know? That's true. You're to a level of confidence, too, I think. Uh, for me, I'd struggle to make that swatch, you know, that you're, you know, designing into a grand piece. In college, it sounded like you started actually working. Uh, you were doing design work as a college student. So. Actually, I was sort of um, going into it as maybe a high school student uh, as well. I mean, because New York City, again, is a mecca for fashion, for the uh, garment industry, I was working for some manufacturers, and I had to come up with original uh, designs for uh, crocheted accessories for this manufacturer. And I came up with hat designs, mostly some you know, scarves, gloves, whatever, and I would have to write the instructions. They would farm it out to um, primarily women in the uh, you know suburbs or in the outer boroughs who would do that out of home, a real cottage industry. Wow! And uh, they would be sold ultimately in boutiques and you know stores like Macy's and Bloomingdale's. Wow! And uh, how how old were you when you were doing that? About seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Wow! Like and how do you even find? I mean, how do you find the work like that when you're seventeen and you're wanting to de- design something? Is it still is it still easy? I'm sure it wasn't easy, but is it how hard is it to get a gig like that when you're 17? Well, as I said, you know, being in New York gives you unique advantages <laughs> that you don't get anywhere else. And I would look in the trade paper. Um, you know, it's Women's Wear Daily. That's the trade paper. Mm-hmm. And I would see the um, you know the classifieds, and they would ask for a, a hand crocheter who can come up with original patterns. And I said, Hey, I can do that. And so um, I was working for a manufacturer, and back then in the uh, 1980, thereabouts, uh, the early 80s, um, they paid me $25 for an original hat pattern, let's say, or an original crocheted hat pattern. Okay. And back then, $25 went a little bit farther, but mm-hmm. it included the first sample, and it included directions. And, uh, you know, she made many tens of thousands of dollars off of my $25 lousy pattern. Oh, wow, yeah. And so it wasn't until 1982 that I said, I'm going to try getting this published. All of the 80s, Women's Day and Family Circle, uh, they regularly had knitting and crocheting patterns in their magazine. 
So I said, you know, I've been following a lot of the patterns as a kid. I might as well see if I cannot submit and get my own patterns published. Mm -hmm. So whereas the manufacturer was paying me $25 for an original design, Women's Day paid me $125. Awesome. So that's when I said, well, you know, forget manufacturing. This is like insane. Why don't I just get them published, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's when I first started to get published. My first design, as I said, in 1982 for Women's Day. Awesome. And what was that pattern? Uh, it was for a hat, a crocheted hat. And back then, since I was trying to make my way through college, I was paying for my tuition, paying for my books. always did it on the side and just primarily with small accessories because they were quick and easy to do. Mm-hmm. And also did some manufacturing on my own. I don't know if you're familiar with Capicio Dance Shop. I was dancing at the time, and I sold to Capicio Dance Stores across the country snoods, you know, to hold the ballerina buns in. Yeah. And I did them in, like, a cotton, a size G hook, and I made many, many snoods for Capicio Dance Stores across the country. Every single month, I would have to do, like, three or four rows. A gross being 144 units. Oh, my goodness. So you, yes. were, you were making all those yourself? Yes, because the profit margin was so slim that if I farmed it out, I would have no money left. Oh, my goodness. So I did it everywhere on the bus to school during class while I was doing homework until it came out of my ears. So is that how you became the fastest well, crocheter in the world? That you... helped a great deal, you know. <laughs> wow. But really, I have to credit my sister Amy because she and I used to also race as a kid, and it's nothing like sibling rivalry. So through college, you actually paid your tuition with your design work. It exactly. Like. First with manufacturers and then with, um, you know, magazines. Wow. And really, uh, I never thought I was going to do this as a living, you know. Because, quite frankly, it's a really micro-niche market. I knew very few people who actually, you know, did this for a living. Yeah, true. But, you know, what do you do with a liberal arts education? <laughs> <laughs> Even though I started off in chemistry, um, I found that it had no soul. I, I found that I was good <laughs> at it, but you know what? My heart wasn't in it. So, you know, I jumped to everything from filmmaking to dance to poetry. and It was a good general liberal arts education, but... Come time to find a job, well, you know, you uh, you ask, well, do you want fries with that, sir? So I found myself waiting on tables at these fancy restaurants, and, um, you know, I said, you know, why don't I just try to fall back on what I have known just about all my life? <laughs> and so I said, I've been doing this on the side all along. Let me see if I can't make a go of it. So it was 1988, I actually decided to quit the day job and go at it full-time freelance. And so how old were you when you made that switch? Oh, mid-20s. How hard was that at the beginning? Oh, very, very hard because once I decided to do this for real, nobody wanted anything. Oh, no. And all along, people wanted stuff. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's only when I was doing it on the side that I was getting lots of bites. But once you make that decision, all of a sudden, nobody was biting. And uh, I shouldn't say that, I exaggerate, but you need a lot of commissions to make a living from it. Oh, of course. And that first year, I was so poor, I was counting pennies, and if I wasn't, you know, living with my husband-to-be at the time, I would never have survived. So uh, my first advice to anybody who wants to do anything remotely like this is don't quit the day job. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get a little political here, but let's face it, it is a woman's work type of situation, mm -hmm. and you and I both know that, you know, any type of quote-unquote woman's work will always be undervalued. Yeah, and unfortunately, so, that's been the case, for exactly. sure. Exactly, and so you're always going to find that it is woefully underpaid for the amount of work that we do, and 
I hate to say this is so sad, but the price that they pay you has actually gone down over the years. In the 1980s, I was getting a certain amount, let's say from Women's Day, for these designs. And that amount has actually decreased as the years have gone by. So are you saying it's not realistic now for someone to, to try to get, think they're going to get $125 from a publication for a for pattern? Um, they would be lucky if they got that. And if they got that, remember that they're getting the same pay scale as back in the 80s, which 20, seems, some seems years ago. ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. And for certain things like sweaters, it actually has gone down in the 20-some-odd years. Oh, geez. Yeah. So, you know, it's tough. And I know that a lot of people have these fantasies about, um, A, working from home, B, following their bliss and doing what they want. But let me tell you, C, it is really, really tough. Yeah. And a lot of people have these, you know, stars in their eyes. Um, but I will be the first to tell you that I get very, very little sleep, that I work doubly as much as most other people to get, a, you know, the same income. In other words, if you would work in an office uh, as a legal secretary, you will be getting maybe as much as I do, but I am working like about 50% more than you are. How many hours did you say you put in? At least 16 a day. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, and that's usually seven days a week, you know? Wow. Uh, I rarely have a quote-unquote day off. Weekends mean nothing to me. Well, so what is a typical day for you? Like, say, like a typical, like today, it's, we're talking on a Wednesday. What did you do today? <laughs> okay, I admit that I am usually a night owl. Okay. And I am usually knitting or crocheting well into the wee hours until 6 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. Well, I love that wee hours because it's so quiet and nobody bugs me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your so, phone's not ringing and yeah. Bingo. But what ha- and most people who know me are trained not to call me after noontime. Excuse me, not to call me before noontime. They wait until after the noon. Yeah, I was told that. Don't yeah. call her before noon. And now I understand full well why. Because if you're up till 8 o'clock, you don't want to be taking a call from some, you know, podcaster at 9 a.m., you know. Well, I let the machine take care of it. That's the case, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, you know, I get a delivery from UPS for my next project that I'm doing. I've already started the swatch. I had to start doing, you know, the directions, and I started to cast on for that project, uh, which I'm doing myself. Uh, sometimes if I'm really busy, I will give it to some other knitter or crocheter. And then I had to make sure that the packages that I sent earlier in the week have gotten to the places that I'm going to be. So, you know, it's all kinds of rigmarole like that. Then I had to make sure that my uh, paychecks that just came in uh, get deposited so they don't, you know. So it's I am bookkeeper. I am, um, you know, shipper. <laughs> I am uh, contract worker. I, when you are working for yourself, you wear every hat. Right. So, you know, typical day, I'm just doing everything. So I think people have this fantasy where they think, oh, Lily Chin must have, like, a bunch of people working for her, handling all these things, and that's just not the case. I mean, you're... You can't afford it. Yeah, I know. because for what they're paying you. <laughs> you know, I mean, are you optimistic, though? I mean, do you see this changing? Because I know, well, Women's Day and some of these pla- these magazines are, are not publishing the same amount of patterns where women's magazines it used to be very very typical and expected that there would be a pattern there would be something crafty in every issue and that's just i mean it's kind of there's seems like there's interest again where people want that you know there's readers who really actively are looking for patterns and so forth but because there's fewer publications publishing these things do you think it's just unlikely that designers like yourself are ever going to be paid well, more. Jennifer, you have to remember that a lot of it has been supplanted then by the big Internet. Right, right. And I think that it's a good thing and a bad thing. 
Uh, it's a great thing in that it, you know, there's so many free patterns out there, and it will help perpetuate the craft, which mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, is a good thing. Uh, but by the same token, if, if you talk about individuals trying to make a living out of it, well, why, you know, why should you pay if you get the cow for free type of thing, right? Right, right. And so um, I think that it's good to encourage more knitters for shares, but in terms of individuals trying to actually uh, make a living, it's going to be far more tough nowadays, you know, for people who are starting out, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that I'm one of the very, very fortunate few because I actually got a jump. I got to start early on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know for a fact that a lot of people who have come on the scene recently, they still have their day jobs. Mm-hmm. They still do something else. And this is still something on the side. Now, mind you, for them, you know, it is a nice other income. Um, but still, to try to make a soul living from it, really, I only know of a very, very handful. I can count them probably on one hand in the United States. Wow. Yeah, so that's why I say don't quit the day job. <laughs> but looking back, are you glad you did quit your day job? Well, there are advantages. I mean, let's face it, how many people can actually, you know, travel not just the country but the world on other people's money doing this kind of stuff? Right, right. I mean, I've taught, um, you know, knitting uh, on cruises throughout the Mediterranean. I've gone up to Alaska. I've gone through Bermuda, blah, blah, blah. Um, I have uh, knitted and crocheted uh, across Australia. And so knitting and crocheting for me has, you know, taken me places, literally. Mm-hmm. And I consider myself extremely fortunate in that way. I think that it has afforded me the chance not just to travel, but I think that to be able to do something that's, that you do enjoy still a great deal and be able to do it very often in your pajamas. Yes, there are great advantages to that. <laughs> yeah. And how many people can stay up until 6 in the morning and have everybody train not to call them until afternoon? <laughs> Probably not too many. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I consider myself blessed, and there are certainly advantages. Looking back, would I have done it any other way? Well, I don't know. Um, maybe I should have been a doctor. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably making a little more money, you know, with uh, fewer hours in the week. But um, yeah, yeah. But let's face it, not so creative, you know. No, and it sounds like I mean, it sounds like you. I mean, you've obviously made some fantastic contributions to the the world of, of knit and crochet, and it's um, we're all thankful that you have done this. And but I, I but I appreciate your honesty about this because I think it's good for people to hear. Um, there might still be some, you know, some folks out there that are determined, and they think they're going to be the one of the, the one and one of, you know, just a handful that makes it in the next wave of, you know, the up and coming designers. And I think if you have, I mean, if you have that passion in your heart and that fire to, to and drive to try this, you should. But you know, I think it's good to have that dose of reality that, you know, this is very hard. And um, you know, I, and I thank you for sharing too your just your experience in a typical day. It's not like you're. You know, doing a little recreational knitting and crocheting. I mean, you're 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 working like hard all day long. And um, well, a lot of people, and same thing for people who open yarn shops, have these fantasies of being able to knit all day. Right, the right. The most successful yarn shops I know never get a chance to knit anymore. Right, they're busy taking inventory or doing payroll or you know that sort of a thing. Right, and um, you have to remember, Jennifer, forced knitting. When you do something because you have to rather than because you want to, just changes everything. It certainly does. However, 
I encourage everyone who has these fantasies to try it out. I want everyone to give it a try, to um, try and get published, to try and get out there, because they'll realize what it takes, and you'll have somebody who has that grit and determination to be able to make it. And I would love to see that my, myself, you know, yeah. to see somebody beat the odds out, you know? Yeah, for sure. But and like I said, though, I think it is good to, to have that, you know, dose of reality, too. And when was the last time you got a chance to actually knit or crochet something just for yourself, just not because you had to, just because you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jennifer, this is going to sound wacky to you, but I try to do it once a month just because. No, it that's great. My soul. That's great. If I did, if I couldn't be able to do that, I would shrivel up and die. I can relate. I can yeah. relate. I try and make something. I try to work on something. If it, even if it's just the two rows that I knit while my computer is booting up at work, I, I do try to do something every day, even if it's just a stitch or you know. But you also have to remember that in order to be, quote-unquote, successful, you have to make yourself very sellable and very marketable. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the stuff that I do um, has to appeal, ha have a broader appeal. The stuff that I make for myself, it's my fantasy world. It's things that nobody else necessarily would want to wear. <laughs> like, for instance, I just did a stitch and pitch for the New York Mets, our first one in New York. Okay. And I don't know if you're aware yeah, of it. Yeah, I am. It's a great program. Yeah. yeah, we should tell people what it is. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, that's when we fill up a stadium, a part of a stadium with stitchers of all kinds, knitters, crocheters, embroiderers, and so that we promote the needle arts, you know, to an audience generally not exposed to that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for our New York Mets stitch and pitch, I knitted and crocheted a whole Uniform, baseball uniform. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, cap, jersey, uh, pants, mitt, um, the, you know, the glove, and even ball. Wow. So how many people are, you know, going to knit themselves a baseball uniform? Well, that's my fantasy bit, you know? Right. And so was it something you could wear? Oh, or, yeah. I've worn yeah. it um, actually not only at the game and got into the New York Times doing so, um, but I wore it to the Stitches uh, Midwest uh, show um, uh, during banquet night. Awesome. So that's very clever, too, because not only are you having fun, but you're also, as you said, you landed in the New York Times. You know? So <laughs> well, it's, it's great. You have to remember something else, Jennifer. You mentioned Martha Stewart before. Mm hmm And you know it was on David Letterman. You've been on everything. <laughs> I mean, your, your list of uh, TV appearances is, like, ridiculously long, you know. Yeah, I've yeah. done, like, over 50 appearances in two years' time. Wow. And the thing is, I never get paid for these things. Wow. You do a TV um, appearance, usually, you know, the news or something, uh, you never get paid. And they don't pay for your travel, or do they? Do some they pay for some travel? Some do and some don't. Okay. We have to remember that Letterman and uh, Martha Stewart, they're out of New York, so what travel? I roll out of bed and I'm there. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, I do it for, uh, again, to promote the craft. Because I think it's really important that we continue, you know, through traditions. And quite frankly, without, you know, uh, knitters and crocheters out there, you know, I'm out of a job. True. So um, I am uh, one big, big, uh, you know, proponent of uh, spreading the word of knit and crochet out there. Mm -hmm. And you're doing that very successfully. So when I get into the New York Times, you know, it's not just about me. It's about, as I said, spreading the word. And um, I think I do a really, really good job at promoting uh, because um, I have also, in New York City, as a kid, grown up working for uh, public relations firms, too. So I know how to play that PR game as well. So you're like the full package here, a one-woman powerhouse. 
a lot of people, including the Craft Yarn Council and let's say the you know um, the Knitting Guild, they have used me as a poster child, you know, for the industry as a result, you know, because it's the package, as you say. Yeah, for sure. Well, because I think a lot of people, you know, especially people who are creative mindset, um, they might be just so incredibly brilliant when it comes to what they're creating, what they're making, but they don't know how to make it accessible and make it appealing to others. Um, and you, they also don't know how to mug to the cameras. <laughs> exactly. And that's part of what you have to do, you know, and uh, you're you're very successful doing that. And you seem to enjoy it. You, you seem to enjoy being a spokesperson for the needle art. Well, I am a ham at heart. I mean, you know, I'm a natural born ham. So, yeah, I actually <laughs> do enjoy it. But I don't get paid for it. Yeah. And see, that's, I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, every time you appear someplace, you're just getting richer, you know. <laughs> you know, people have these misconceptions. Um, yes, I am well-known in this field. But just because you're well-known does not mean that you're rolling in it, number yeah. one. But number two, people also forget that ours is such a small, I call it a micro-niche, <laughs> you know. And a larger scheme of things, you know, unless you are a big proponent of knitting and crocheting, it means nothing to the general, you know, audience out there at large, you know. But don't you think it's interesting, though, if you, you said you had 50 appearances in the last two years on TV. Is that more than you would say the two years prior to that? I mean, do you think this is picking up as far as mainstream interest? I mean, or am I just completely deluded in my hope that that's really what's going on? <laughs> oh, no, most definitely in the mainstream we have made tremendous strides. Um, starting um, at around 2004, thereabouts, I would say, 2003. But it is starting to wane some, meaning that I will tell you that right now knitting and crocheting are not as hot as they were before. Well, it seems like sewing is coming to the forefront now. Yes, and also other crafts such as beading. And, you know, everything is cyclical, mm -hmm. which is why I feel like I have to always do my darndest to try to keep knitting and crocheting at the forefront, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... I don't expect it to stay on top all the time, but certainly I still want it to remain somewhat visible at all times. And it will be interesting to see what happens in the next five years, too, because there, the people are, seem to be, I know myself, I, I'm interested in anything, that any kind of art or craft, I, I don't really rule anything out. I do find that yarn is usually, well, it's always in my bag. If I trip or fall and, and people saw it was in my bag, they would be quite stunned probably all the craft supplies that I lug around but but yeah it'll be really interesting to see you know who's knitting and crocheting in the in the coming years and I hope that we double our numbers but I'm not quite sure how to how to get the numbers doubled. Uh, I mean look I will be the first to admit that I hear the siren call sometimes of counted cross stitch uh, <laughs> or um, you know um, quilting or whatever yeah and I have tried my hand at many other crafts but you know um it's in my closet of one of these days. Mm -hmm. And I think that all of us have that closet of one of these days. We sure do. And so I collect things like my lap loom and, you know, that sort of a thing for my closet of one of these days. <laughs> but ultimately what it comes down to is this. We talked about it earlier. Portability. Right. I would love to be able to quilt more, except taking my sewing machine on the bus is just... Right. As you said, not a possibility. Exactly. And beading, I mean, you know, can you imagine the beads rolling all over the place when I'm in an airplane? Yeah, and that'd be a disaster because all it takes is one person to, like, elbow you or whatever and your, your beads are all over the place. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, uh, what it comes down to is I, I'm fairly pan-crafty myself, but um, the portability factor is still, a, I think, you know, an important one. 
<laughs> so I think that's what keeps a lot of people, you know, coming back to it. Yes, they'll venture out and try other things, too. And, you know, I think that's a great thing because, as I said, I feel like people, if they reach out and try something else, you know, expand themselves a little bit, certainly they can also apply whatever to knitting and crochet. Mm-hmm. Embroidery, guess what? You can embroider on knitting and crochet. You, you know? sure can. Um, quilting, you can take those same patterns and knit them or crochet those patterns, you know, such as the pinwheel or the log cabin. Or the whatever. log cabin is fantastic, yeah, knitting and crocheting it, yeah. So, you know, I, I encourage other people to, but ultimately what it comes down to is I think that you're right. A lot of people just come back to it because of, that, of the portability thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, that for me, yarn is part of my heritage, you know. I can't see myself ever being anywhere without yarn, you know. It's just, I feel safe, I feel happy when I'm with yarn. So, that might be some other issue. I might have to lay on a couch and pay someone some money someday to talk about that. But, you know, I I, I really love it. So, I I appreciate, too, what you're doing to kind of keep everyone's interest peaked. I, I am curious, when you go on, you know, Letterman or, you know, some of these shows that might not be, because um, Martha, obviously, she respects, the, you know, art and craft, so you don't have to make her a believer, but when you go on some of these shows, you know, what do you, because I know they think, oh, you know, this woman can, you know, crochet, you know, the fastest in the world, and uh, do you feel like, you know, the arts are taken seriously by some of these folks that have have you on, whether it's a morning news program or, you know, it's one of the, the comedians at night, you know, the talk show hosts? How do you think they perceive needle art? Uh, admittedly, sometimes it's done as a goof first, mm-hmm. but it's hard to denigrate something when I'm right there. True. And I'm not the type who would, uh, you know, I would quit back. In other words, if they made a derogatory comment of some kind, I, I'm able to quit back. And so I wouldn't allow it to be denigrated. But quite frankly, very few people just wake up one day and say, oh, gee, maybe I'll learn how to crochet today. <laughs> and I right. think that sticking the notion there, you know, it, it, it's almost like a subliminal message. Mm-hmm. Give it a try, you know. Right. And hopefully somebody, you know, and many people have never seen it done before, you know, knitting or crochet. Right. It's kind of a mystical thing for them. Yeah. Right. And if they see it done, maybe they feel like, hey, that's something that I bet you I can do. Maybe I should try it. Maybe I can tackle that. And so I think that just laying that idea, that notion into somebody's head is, you know, going to get up and start it. Well, and the thing, too, that we have to remember is that not everyone can just go to their mother or their grandmother, and say, um, yeah, can you teach me how to knit? Because there's kind of a, a gap there. It seemed like there's, you know, where was, this was a craft and art that was passed down to the generations, and then there seemed to be, there's a lot of people out there, maybe baby boomers who don't know how to do this, or they said, you know what, I'm not really not interested. So if their daughters come to them, or their sons, and they want to know, that's why, you know, you kind of, sometimes you have to go find the nearest yarn shop. So not, not only the nearest yarn shop, but nowadays they've got good DVDs out. True. Okay. Sure. And, uh, I mean, you know, you have the traditional book outlet. A lot of people say, well, I can't learn things from books. But you can learn quite a bit from books. I, I do have to say, I've learned tons from books. But also nowadays with the Internet, you've also got the streaming videos. Mm-hmm. But I still uh, agree with you in that there's nothing like a yarn shop, somebody to hold you by the hand and mm-hmm. you know, guide you gently through. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, it is one of those things where, you know, you have a lot of young women going out there and learning this and hoping to pass it down to their children, but they might not have learned from someone. Because I, I think for me, I feel so blessed that I actually learned how to crochet sitting around a table of of women in my family. Well, it was my great aunt and my great grandmother and my mother sitting around this table, and I, I learned from these women who were great. I mean, you know, I had a great grandmother who could look at basically anything and replicate it. Like, she didn't use patterns at all. She would just kind of go with 
just kind of stitch any direction, you know. That's the tradition. I mean, yeah. that's the way it used to be because we didn't have, you know, big printing presses doing Right, right. You had to just kind of figure it out, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. why people made samplers so that, you know, people um, in further, in further uh, generations later on can take a look and, you know, take a look at what was done before. Yeah. But it's also encouraging that more and more men now feel more comfortable doing it too. I am really happy about that because I think that that's, really sad to me that, if, you know, had I been born a man, if I would, you know, people would say because of my gender, I could not be, you know, have the right to, like, stitch on the bus without getting dirty looks, you know. So I think, I mean, seriously, I think that's really just horrible that there are men, and, you know, I've actually interviewed, I interviewed um, the crochet dude. Um, who, oh, yeah, yeah, Drew, who's fabulous. He's actually from West Michigan. So um, I went and met him where, you know, in his hometown, and it was it's great fun, um, and I absolutely love him. And we talked about that when I interviewed him, and you know, he said for a while there he would just he would totally crochet in his you know in his house. You know, he just didn't feel comfortable because all the grief you get when you're a man crocheting, it's like you know people kind of give them hell. You know, and it's like it's because and maybe that's a bit extreme. I don't know that people are actually giving them hell, but but you know, I mean, if you're I mean, because when you knit on the bus, no one or on the subway, no one's going to be like you know, really staring at you like, man, there must be something wrong with her, you know. But I think men get that, you know, and it's really unfortunate. Because I guess it also matters where you are, too. True. But it True. also matters who you are because there is a football player in, um, I think it's uh, in Idaho, and he's a big dude, okay, and he's uh, really tough looking. And I don't, I, I dare anybody say anything to him. <laughs> right, he would make you know applesauce out of the person. So was that a college player or a professional athlete? He was a high school player last I saw, but he might have gone on to college by now. Okay. Uh, when I was on ESPN, they highlighted him as uh, you know one of the uh, one of the uh, crafting dudes. And well, good for him. Yeah. So and of course Rosie Greer, you know. Right. Right. Needlepoint and some crocheting, I believe. Right. Yeah, I know it was needlepoint for sure. Yeah. So I, well, I think it's wonderful when I meet men who crochet or knit. Um, I love that. And you know, traditionally in the guilds of Europe, during like you know the 1500s, it was all men. Mm-hmm. And the men had cornered the market. Basically, it's like being part of the union. Right, right. And so the guilds only allowed men in, and it was basically to protect their craft and their livelihood until the Industrial Revolution came, and they had the advent of the knitting machine, which basically put them out of business. Right, right. And that's when it was relegated to women and uh, to the home, and that's when, you know, it started to get disparaged, unfortunately, because, again, you know, the women's work thing. Well, see, that's why I think... If we can lure more men back to this, it can only help us as women. <laughs> oh, you betcha. You, you betcha. Know? So, ladies, if you can get the men in your life to embrace this, you know, you'll be helping yourself a whole lot. And actually, it was very interesting because this past weekend I was teaching at Stitches Midwest, um, uh, you know, near, at the uh, Chicago airport, Rosemont. Mm-hmm. And I had two, count them, two husband and wife teams in one of my classes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's great because you double the stats, basically. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or you can you can try to like maybe go through it a little bit faster, but that probably doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you also don't have to explain yourself when you're buying yarn. So because, true. Yeah. You wouldn't have to sneak it in the house. You just kind of say, "Look, here's one for you." <laughs> if anything, I hear the wives complain that hubby is stealing into her stash. Oh, that's so funny. I know. I thought it was great. Yeah. No, I think that's wonderful. Are you seeing more men show up for your classes? Yes. And the funny thing is, I've always had a certain number of men in my classes since I started to teach back in like 
8990. Mm-hmm. And um, I think part of it is that men and women approach knitting, I think, slightly differently. If I may be a little bit stereotypical or, or you know, just tell you what what, what my, my um, observations have been. No, oh, sure. You're Lily Chin. Have at it. <laughs> well, I have seen, I mean, firsthand, I've seen many, many men and, and many, 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 many women knit. So, mm-hmm. and I've had them in my classes. But men take a more analytical approach and they look at knitting from an engineering point of view. You know, if I did this, then I can get this result. Okay, in order for me to achieve this, I need to do this move or that move. Mm-hmm. But women are a lot more tactile. Oh, this yarn feels yummy. Right. Or, oh, I love these colors. Right, right. And so women are more touchy-feely, and I think, again, men take more of a, an analytical engineering, uh, you know, approach to it. Yeah, well, I can't say that. I'm too surprised to hear that. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And the couples in my class, they have admitted exactly the same thing to me, to my face. Mm-hmm. And so having said that, I think that because I take quite a lot of uh, technical approach to a lot of my work, I think that that's why a lot of men are drawn to me and my work, mm-hmm. because I have, having had, you know, the math and science background, uh, taken a very uh, strong tech approach to knitting and crocheting, for that matter. Well, do you think that your your background with that tech approach, it makes pattern design a little more, a little easier? Because if you can actually kind of almost engineer a design and not be so caught up in the textures and so forth, because I think a lot of times people, like, they know they love a yarn or they know they love a certain, you know, um, drape, but they're not quite sure how to, like, put it all together and how to come up with that design that's actually going to fit, because I think fit is the biggest challenge for any of us who want to do any, try to do anything original. Fit is really, really challenging, you know, and mm-hmm. so um, do you think your background is really what gives you that, is giving you such a, a leg up when it comes to design? Well, certainly, I think you're right in that because I'm a foremost garment maker, yeah, I know how to fit, I know how to size, and I think that the tech part is the part that allows me to work things in an unusual approach. In other words, like I had one swirling vest that I did for Vogue Knitting one time where it went up the side, down the back, and across the other side, swirling around the body, and you know, a design like that, which is technically, you know, a lot more difficult, makes people make people stop in there, you know, and say, "Wow, how'd you do that?" Mm-hmm. And so, it's the, I think the technique sometimes um, takes a design into a realm where, instead of doing it the usual way from the bottom in pieces, it just like you know, is a little bit more three D or dimensional. Now, when you're designing something like that, I mean, do you? knit kind of go kind of just knit it up or are you taking notes as you're designing or how how does what's your process like a lot of theory in other words i can do things by just uh figuring out with my gauge the angle that it has to take in order to do um you know 90 degree turn wow um and so there is math and science involved in it and so i can conceptualize it and write up directions just from the swatch knowing the gauge really Wow. Yeah. And if I'm unsure, and this is in the book, Couture Crochet uh, Workshop, if I'm unsure, I can always take fabric such as, um, you know, um, sweatshirt fabric or polar fleece and then make a dummy or a mock-up of it just to test it out, even before I start to crochet or knit, really. So you're able to save a lot of time, too. You bet. And that's the part that, because, I mean, any of us who do, you know, you never, you hate to rip out your work. I mean, it's, exactly. It's, you hate it. Exactly. Yeah. I haven't ripped out work in over nine years. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe Wow. Yeah. Except if I make, like, a serious mistake in the stitch. But the reason is because I'm a really a scaredy cat. 
I really am not as confident as you make me out to be. Really? Because I'm such a scaredy cat, I will try to pre-plan as much as possible. And it is that pre-planning and figuring everything out just about to the last stitch and making sure that it works before I even cast on or chain, um, you know, that I come up with successes and don't have to rip out. Well, and I think that's just a great approach because I know I am famous for just deciding, oh, I'm going to do this pattern or I'm going to do this thing, and I just start going. And I might have substituted a different a different yarn and just kind of going my own way. And then I get all frustrated when it doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to because I skip the gauge, you know. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's um, called designing off the needles, let's say, or designing yeah, off the hooks. But, but it's just, I like your approach, the fact that, you know, you can, because I think for me, I'm just so impatient and I'm so eager. And I'm probably like a lot of knitters and crocheters out there who want to just get started. You see a pattern that piques your interest. You're all excited about your last trip to the yarn shop. You got your yarn, you got your hooks, and you have maybe you know, an hour of peace and quiet, and the kids are sleeping, and you're like, okay, I'm just going full tilt right now. Who cares about the squatch? But it always comes back to bite me, always. Well, you know? I like that enthusiasm. Yeah. And quite frankly, I really understand how we're all chomping at the bit, you know, to get yeah, right, going on. Right. But having had experienced lots of disappointment that way, mm-hmm. again, I'm really a scaredy cat, and I want to try it out in different guises, make a dummy mock-up of it in fabric, do all of it on paper, do all of because I've had those disappointments and, you know, part of the science background is to try out different things and analyze and see which one will get you the best result. Mm-hmm. So it's the swatching I really find totally fascinating where I will do a stitch pattern, let's say, that you found in the stitch dictionary in five different types of yarns to see which one will yield the best result mm-hmm. for the garment that I have in mind. That, that's great. And where do you, do you organize all your swatches so you can go back and, and check them out? I mean, do you have like a swatch library or anything? Yeah, I do. And organized, not so much. They are all <laughs> just shoved in closets and bins, but, you know, I'll take them out occasionally and uh, I will refer back to them. What is your workspace like? Do you work? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I live in a small New York City one-bedroom apartment. Oh, my goodness. And so you have probably like tons of yarn. Well, you have to remember, I started the Lily Chin Signature Collection of right, yarn right. Uh, two years ago. And so it's like beyond a lot of yarn. Um, and luckily, I mean, you know, my distributors really house everything up in Canada. But here in New York City, I actually do have to take out storage space. Oh, wow. Well, you know, in a small New York City well, yeah. bedroom, you, you really you don't, don't have, yeah, because it's kind of like, okay, do I have room for my groceries and my toaster or should I put some more yarn here? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's necessity. That's where I keep my, basically my quote-unquote inventory is in my storage spaces. Wow. Which is kind of ridiculous. I'm paying rent on my yarns, you know. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of knitters and crocheters out there who would completely understand why that is a totally logical thing to do. So I know of at least half a dozen who actually take storage spaces <laughs> in the same place. <laughs> and they're probably not designing. Are they, I mean, are they colleagues of yours, people who are actually designing, or are these just people with No, us? these are your average different <laughs> knitters. They're part of my guild, for instance. <laughs> You know, oh, uh, wow. tight New York City spaces, we, you know, yeah. all of us can relate. I'm a pack rat, so I would be paying for a lot of storage space. I am also a pack rat, and I am also paying for all of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like, though, I mean, it must be one of the coolest storage spaces, though, to go into and see a bunch of yarn and not, like, a bunch of boxes and papers, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, so do you find that you have to go there a lot when you're designing, or do you keep something? All the time. Yeah, you're Luckily, going, they're 24 hours. You know? Oh, really? So you're going in 
maybe retrieving yarn at 4 a.m. Oh, something. 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you get inspired and you want to, and you go, oh, I know exactly the yarn it really should be done in. And so you go over there to try to fish it out, and you have to have a really good system of, you know, inventorying everything so that you know exactly where to find it. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So how big would you say your storage area is? That storage area is plural. Oh, okay. <laughs> How many square foot feet are we talking here? I've got 12 storage spaces. Each one of them are at least 5 by uh, 6 by 10. Wow. Yeah, and 5 by 6 by 10, you think, you know, it's not really huge. It's a big glorified closet, but you'd be amazed at how much you can cram in there. Well, luckily, yarn, you can really pack it in there. Yeah, yeah. you can squish them in. Um, and, you know, I have to, all the boxes numbered on the outside, and I've got, um, you know, a very good, um, as I said, database, so I know uh, which yarns are in which numbered box, blah, 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 blah. Oh, so that looks like that would have been, that's days of work, just organizing that. You know? Oh, big time. And, you know, it isn't just yarn. It's also when I'm teaching, uh, which is usually three times a month, every time I go teach a class, I usually have many, many different uh, samples illustrating in all of all my points in my class. Mm-hmm. So I keep my teaching inventory of all the samples, and I have to make sure that the right, um, you know, samples go uh, with that class uh, of wherever I happen to be that particular weekend. Right, so you're all, it's organized so you can save time and not have to be panicking as you're packing your bags. Right. Right. Although that happens too. Yeah, well, I think it, yeah, it happens, even the, the best plans sometimes don't come off without a hitch. I think that sometimes people feel like if they're not super, super organized and have like this immaculate home studio with everything they need right within an arm's you know at arm's length they can't possibly be successful and I, I love to hear when people have these just you know intri- I'm always intrigued by people's process and how they work and the fact that at two in the morning you're going to retrieve yarn I mean I can completely see why that would work because I'm a night owl as well and um, you know I, I love that so um, people do people though think it's kind of you know if they don't know what you're doing and they see you show up at the stores, <laughs> at the stores. I mean, I'm sure pretty quickly people figure out, okay, this is the lady with all the yarn. But, <laughs> you know, but because they see you cover, you're probably just carrying gigantic boxes that don't seem that heavy, you know. <laughs> I'm wondering, York, are those in empty? New York, everybody basically, you know, doesn't get too nosy. Um, yeah. You know, they sort of keep to, to themselves quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure people do get curious, but, uh, you know, they never really come out and ask. Yeah. And, you know, the people who work there, they're used to seeing me, and they ask no questions. They yeah. just basically leave me alone. Well, as long as you're paying for your storage unit, they probably aren't going to hassle you at all, you know. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's the beauty in a way of New York is a certain amount of, let's call it anonymity and, you know, (laughs) being left alone. Right, as long as you're not bothering the guy next to you, you know, they don't really care so much. Exactly. Yeah, it's in the Midwest, though, everyone's so nosy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I have never lived in the Midwest, but I have been to the Midwest quite a lot. And, yeah, they ask a lot of questions, they don't do. they? They do. Well, it was funny. It would be funny. I mean, I can imagine if I left my house at, like, 4 in the morning or 2 in the morning and, like, came back with a bunch of boxes and then was leaving with boxes, people would probably think I was some kind of strange drug dealer or something. <laughs> they'd be like, what is she doing, you know? Um, I'm sure I've raised a few eyebrows in the neighborhood anyway with some of my – because I'm always going out on my porch to photograph craft projects that I, I do. So I have my daughter out there holding things up for me and stuff. And it's Aww. hilarious because, I mean – it makes total sense to us, I mean, because we're doing a project. We want to take pictures of the, in the natural light, we want to take pictures of the process, you know. So she's on board. She's three, you know. She's totally on board with this. But the neighbors, because they'll be like, what is she photographing? She's not photographing her kids. She's photographing <laughs> the thing her child's holding or the thing, you know. So I think it looks very bizarre.
are. And I never, no one has really asked, because I, I don't know if they're just afraid or what, <laughs> what, you know, afraid I'll take their picture or what. But it just cracks me up, you know, where it, when I, my experience in New York is that, I mean, literally, if you're not doing anything to, like, bother, literally bother the next person, the person next to you, they're not going to get all wrapped up in your business. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So, yeah, quite frankly, there's so many weirdos and strangers. Nobody, you know. Well, and the city never sleeps. I mean, everybody's out doing stuff at all hours, you know. Not everybody, but several people, you know, a lot of people. So it's it's not like it's, you know, I'm in suburbia and, you know, I'm <laughs> moving things around at four in the morning. So, um, but no, I think I think that's great. And, and do you find that, do you, on certain days of the week, say, okay, I'm designing something today and tomorrow's my paperwork day? Or are you doing a mix of everything every day? Usually I do a mix of everything, but because usually when I teach, um, it's, uh, you know, uh, the weekends that I do the teaching, mm-hmm. um, that usually leaves the middle of the week to do the designing and stuff. And so uh, in that sense, I have a, a, a quasi-schedule. And I really only do the designing part um, when I'm home and not on the road. Mm-hmm. Although I have been known to be, uh, you know, writing up directions when I'm on the road just because <laughs> there's a deadline. Right. And, oh, gosh, deadline. You know, you have to live. I mean, I, deadlines are something for me, but I've never had to like, it, with the exception of gifts and Christmas time, I don't knit on deadline or crochet on deadline unless, I mean, I definitely do some crafting on deadline, but it's not the same type of, my income is not tied to it. So, so th- what is that experience like when you have like, you know, how close have you come to, to deadlines? Um, no sleep for three days. Oh my goodness. Um, maybe a nap or two just so that I don't totally collapse, you know, but I have been known to like, you know, work for three days straight, um, working on deadlines. And, oh my goodness. And, and this goes back to like, you know, how unglamorous it can really be. Yeah. So yeah. you're like drinking coffee to stay awake or anything? Oh any? yeah. Um, oh my goodness. And you know, when people think that, oh, it wouldn't be wonderful to like knit or crochet all the time and you know what I said about having to do something, being forced to do something, yeah. wanting to do something. When uh, when you've got a deadline, and usually it's several deadlines, and there are lots of people who are counting on you. Um, uh, there's a f- photo session being scheduled, and the photographer and the models—they're getting thousands of dollars. And if you don't get it there, then you have, will have wasted thousands of dollars of somebody. And else. probably won't get a call back again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, usually you get maybe three weeks to do something. Like, um, okay, for, like three weeks to do what? Like a, well, a sweater, let's say. Okay, okay. So you got to design it from scratch. Well, usually you have designed a lot of it because you have to show the idea okay. to the editor in some shape or form. Okay. Um, you know, a sketch and a swatch usually. So you do have, like, a notion, a concept of the design, what it, what it will look like, and you do have, like, you know, the, some of the stitches worked out. So you have submitted the sketch and a swatch. And once it is, you know, approved, uh, they get yarn to you, um, and uh, you usually have maybe about three weeks um, to have everything worked up, and usually the direction's written, too. But it's been sometimes as tight as a week, and sometimes if you're really, really, really lucky, you might get a whole month. So it varies, you know, depending on their time frame, blah, blah, blah. Um, but working in the garment industry, which is different than working for, you know, the craft industry. Right. I've done deadlines where the runway show, uh, you know, and that's in New York twice a year, the um, fashion show mm-hmm. uh, during Fashion Week. Everybody wants things all at the same time because they all show during the same Fashion Week. Oh, boy. And I have to get things done maybe in about two days if I'm lucky. Oh, my goodness. And I will stay up and just not sleep, you know, and that's a different kind of a deadline. Um, 
luckily, you know, there are no directions to write, but there I'm interpreting somebody else's ideas because, well, you know, Ralph Lauer doesn't know how to knit a crochet. Yeah, and that's kind of, what is that like when you're working with a designer? I mean, because obviously, if Ralph Lauren calls and, and he says, you know, I need a sweater, and you're, I mean, most people, any designer in their right mind would be like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, let me come up with something for you there. Um, you know, I mean, but what is it like when, you know, you have a, a, a guy telling you or asking for a design, um, but he doesn't Well, they know don't the quote so much ask for a design. They just tell they you? They have in mind a design. They draw me a pretty picture. Okay. But they have no idea how it's going to be made. Okay. okay. Oh, wow. So that's really your challenge. Like, I'm sorry? That's your challenge, to figure that right. out. Right. And basically, I am acting as a bit of an engineer there. Wow. Um, and so I might have to do a few stitches for them in you know, some of the prescribed yarns, and they'll have to see it, um, how it's knitted or crocheted, you know, um, how it comes out looking. Um, that's called doing um, you know, a, a, a stitch development. Mm-hmm. And so they'll pick maybe like a stitch pattern uh, that'll look close to their picture. And then I have to figure out how to create that garment that I've drawn. Maybe it is a halter top or maybe it is, um, you know, a, a dolman sleeve sweater, whatever. Um, and sometimes I'll ask them to give me a flat pattern to follow. Um, or sometimes they'll just give me some measurements, what, what are known as specs. And so I will have to figure out how to work it, you know, how to, how, how to work the stitches, blah, 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 blah. So do you make your own flat pattern in that case? Uh, sometimes I had to, mm-hmm. um, but that, the completed, um, you know, garment that's called a knit down, even if it's crocheted, it's still considered a knit down, <laughs> and that's making the actual, you know, prototype, the, the actual sample, and um, they sometimes will ask for changes. Oh wow! Which means that I have to rip out because it's part of it is education. You have to tell them, no, you just can't take the middle section out. You have to rip everything above there, you know? Yeah, because it's not like a, I mean, like a, like fabric where you can, like, cut a piece out or take it in. Exactly. Oh, my gosh, I would pass out. (laughs) I would totally pass out. It's like, can't we remove this, you know, section here? No, that's in the middle of it. If you remove that section, you have to remove everything above that. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. You have to. It's a whole education process. Basically, you're also like giving them a lesson, you know. Mm-hmm. But it does pay nicely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can imagine. Well, it must be awesome. I mean, what was the, who was the first big designer that you ever worked with? Uh, that would be Isaac Mizrahi. Okay. And and how how long ago was that? It was like ninety five, ninety six. Okay. And so what's like what's that like when you go from doing design work more in the craft realm and then big designers start calling you? I mean, what what is that like? Well, I had worked for manufacturers, but not designers like Isaac. Right, right. And um, I have to say, he was a sweetie, and he really treated me very well. And I really enjoyed working with him. And it was a lot of work, and it was it t- took years off my life, and I got many gray hairs. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I really wanted to just spit, and you know, but there is nothing like the thrill of seeing a supermodel like Naomi Campbell coming down the runway, and you're at the show, and okay, you get standing room seats because you're not so important, you know. But you but, made the garment. But yeah, to say it came out of my hands, and it's on a supermodel, you know. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was thrilling. Um and so it has its perks, it has its benefits, um, but you have to remember that it's only twice a year, and um, everybody wants everything at the same time, as I said. So now, do you, are you do you have enough clout now where you can kind of say, okay, here are the conditions under which I will work? <laughs> no, that's not the way the industry works. Okay. Sorry, but you know, you have to get one shot at it. It's only one fashion show, you know, uh, every six months, and so there is no, none of this. Well, I need more time. 
Now, how many pieces do you typically have uh, Fashion Week? How many how many pieces will you I have? I could do as much as five or six, wow. which is a lot because they usually, as I said, give me no time to do these things. Mm-hmm. But luckily, I'm in a position where I don't have to do it if I don't want to. Right, so you pick the ones you want to do. Exactly. And so I can just say, sorry, you know, cannot even fit into my schedule. And even if they, you know, don't hire me again, I'm okay with that um, because it is just so stressful. Well, it sounds like it's stressful. My goodness. As I said, the great part is not having to write directions for it, but the bad part of it is that they'll make changes and they haven't a clue as to how it's done, so their changes are near impossible. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So what happens to the, okay, so you make the, the gar- you know, the sweater or whatever it is, and uh, Supermile wears it down the runway. Um, does the um, designer get to keep it, or do you ever see these things back, or what happens? Get it back. It was theirs to begin with, really. Okay, that's I mean, true. You know, that's I true. only did the execution, the engineering, but it was their pretty picture. It was their materials, their choice of colors and yarns, you know? She basically goes, you know, no, no sleep, almost going meals and bathroom breaks for days. You know, that's my choice. And then you, yeah, and then you give this thing out to the world. Yeah, that's, that's, uh. I don't have to do it. That's my choice. Yeah. I mean, you know, nobody put a gun to my head and say, Lil, you have to crochet for three days straight. <laughs> and then we're going to take it away from you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think of it as being my children so much because, yeah. as I said, it's their pretty pictures. It's right. It's not my vision. It's not like, you know, my. My, my idea. Right. And you're, um, yeah, you're, you've been hired to, to, to make this. Yeah. Exactly. And as I said, I think of it as being a, a technical, you know, engineering sort of a job. Yeah, I probably wouldn't do it very well if um, I had your talent and skill. I probably would still have um, issues with the attachment issues. That I <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, okay, I need that back now. Yeah. Okay, Jennifer, truth be told, sometimes I have been attached to one or two, in which case I always make one for myself. <laughs> So you can walk, uh, you know, down your hallway like Naomi Campbell. <laughs> yeah, I'd have my fantasies. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, so, well, I mean, that's the thing, too, is that, um, you know, I'm sure some of these, I mean, that's just got to be really fun, though, to work with the big names in the in fashion industry. And, and I think it's one of the things I think is so great about it is to see hand-knit and, and also crocheted items on supermodels. I think Thank it's fantastic. You. Thank you. That's the real biggie is that that means they are showing hand-knits and crochets. That means they're going to be in the fashion magazines. That means people are going to want to do this. Exactly, and that helps perpetuate it too, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, because then people, you know, that's that's what we see out there. And then you see in in even your department store um, where they make, you know, thousands of copies of of some of these designs. Um, You know, people are buying, you know, I, I always love to see crocheted items, you know, people wearing them. Of course, I prefer to see it. People make their own, as opposed to having someone in a sweatshop somewhere um, not being paid enough <laughs> to make these garments. But you know, I, I I think it's wonderful when we see knitted and crocheted items because it does perpetuate the craft for sure, which is great to see. So those sleepless nights that you have, you know, where you're crocheting and knitting for days, it does make a, there's definitely a trickle down effect, you know, in the fashion world, and and hopefully it sends that subliminal message to people that wouldn't it be nice to learn how to crochet? <laughs> yeah, so you don't have to pay three thousand dollars for this thing, you know? Right, right, right. And right. I have to say, part of it is also the challenge. I mean, have you ever like? you know, done something just because it was a good challenge and you wanted to see if you can do it or yeah. not. Sometimes I just love a challenge. You tell me, you can't do, I can't do something, and I will try to prove you wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah. So um, when presented with a lot of these, you know, ideas that, you know, let's say um, Diane von Furstenberg or Vera Wang will present to me, it'll, I like the challenge. I like to, like, 
you know, take their ideas, their, you know, silly um, uh, fantasies. I shouldn't say silly, but what seemingly is, seems impossible on paper. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, yeah, I can do that, you know. And then you do. Yeah, find a way of doing it. They may not always appreciate the techniques that went behind it, you know, all the gymnastics, <laughs> but hey, I did it. Yeah. Well, those of us out there who are, you know, um, you know, needle uh, work lovers appreciate the magical stuff you had to do to pull it off. So, so, um, and you know, I want to mention your book again before we go. I know you've written, you've written several books. Um, how many books have you written so far? Um, four and a half. I say four and a half because. Um, one of them is the pattern book that goes with my yarn line, and it's called Expressions. Okay. And it's just a, a book of patterns, whereas um, most of my other books are how-to books as well as patterns. Um, actually, that's not totally true, too, because my first book was Mosaic Magic, Afghans Made Easy, and that one was uh, over 40 projects. It was 46 projects done in my mosaic crochet technique. Mm-hmm. But um, the Urban Knitter... Um, certainly, I think was interesting stories about what goes on behind designs as well as profiling, you know, 20 urban knitters around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, knit and crochet with beads. Again, how to. Uh, more than 16 ways of getting beads onto knitting and crocheting. And then couture crochet workshop, which, again, how to. How you can come up with your own, um, you know, designs that will fit you like a glove, but also some of my ideas so that you can jump start it. And there's some beautiful dresses and skirts in here that I, I love. And it, the book's very inspiring. And like I said, it demystifies the design process for folks that, like me, who have never really embarked on this. And it, it kind of gives me, you know, where I start thinking, hmm, maybe I could try to do something like that someday. So I think it's a wonderful book to have on the shelf for sure. Thank you. Yeah. And um, so what are you working on next? What can, what, what can we expect from you uh I've been doing a series of articles on fitting for Vogue Knitting. So I continue to work for magazines. I'm working on three other books, and I continue to, uh, you know, work on my um, design collection that goes with my yarn line, uh, the Lilyton Signature Collection of Yarns. And you started that two years ago, right? Exactly. And um, basically, I really sometimes wanted certain yarns to, uh, you know, realize some of the designs that I had in my head. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it was the dream opportunity to be able to come up with certain yarns that I've always wanted for certain purposes, you know? That is great. So you can basically now, you're in a place where if you want a special yarn for a special thing, you can just design the yarn too, you know? Yes, which is cool. Yeah. But, like, for instance, my Chelsea yarn, which is, like, a light sport weight, mm-hmm. um, it's one-third merino, one-third cotton, and one-third acrylic. I think of that as being my crochet yarn because I think that, Doing garments in worsted weight, you have to be super, super careful. Mm-hmm. Since, you know, that's the yarn that most people will use for afghans. Right. A lot of times when you use worsted weight for garments, you're going to look like you're wearing an afghan. <laughs> right, and that's not really what you're going for usually. Right, and right. as I said in the book, usually the finer, the better it is for crochet. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with that yarn. Um, it's ideal for crochet, and that is what I consider my quote-unquote crochet yarn. Mm-hmm. And also, you get great yardage for, I think, a very good price. So, you know, since crochet uses up uh, one-third more yarn, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Uh, I wanted to get good value. And you would think of that. I mean, that's great, because you're, you're a crocheter, so you would think of that. And a lot of, um, I'm not so sure every... every um, Yarn producer really thinks about that. You That's know, the because cost. not every yarn producer knits and crochets. Exactly, I hate to say. exactly. And I also have um, 
you know, a mohair, which is not so hairy, so you can use it for cables, and it won't obscure the texture of the cables. Awesome. And I love using it for my signature reversible uh, cables technique. And so, you know, a lot of these yarns I came up with to solve certain problems and to do certain things that I, uh, that, that I want realized in my design, you know? Now, are you a spinner? I mean, do you have experience putting together? I have spun. And I know exactly how yarns are made. And so I know when I can spe- specify, you know, don't over-twist this, but I want a good one so that it will be pill-resistant. You know, because the tighter the twist, the less uh, the, the less pilling will occur. Right, right. But you can't over-spin it because then it'll start to bias and you lose some of the grape that way, you know? Well, no wonder you're getting such a great result then because you're able to tell them in very technical terms what you're looking for. Exactly, because I know what goes into making yarns. And even though I'm not a tremendous spinner, um, you know, again, the same thing with sewing. I am not a good sewer. Uh, and I'm not a good seamstress, but I know exactly how it's done and what goes into it. I am not a, you know, great spinner. I'm actually a miserable spinner, but I know exactly what goes into it and how it's done. The thing we didn't talk about, and the thing I definitely want to, you know, make sure I give you a chance to say something about, is the fact that you're still the reigning champion of the fastest crocheter in the world, a title that you defended back in 2004 at the World Championships in London. And how many times have you... Uh, I had to defend that title. Just that once. I won it in 2002, and then I won it again in 2004, and they haven't had another one since. But just between you and me, Jennifer, and actually everybody else who's listening in, <laughs> I don't take it seriously. No? No, because it was all done as a publicity stunt. Okay. And it worked. It got a lot of attention, you know, to, uh, for crocheting, and that's the main thing. I really don't take it seriously. And quite frankly, I know that I'm probably not the fastest, but again, I am a good spokesperson. Right, right. So they trot me out there every time they want a good interview, you know? Yeah. How fast were you? I mean, how did they do that? They just had you knit or crochet. Um, what did you have to do? To- uh, 20 stitches, 20 double crochets in a row with a chain three uh, as well. Okay. And three minutes time. And it's how many basically double crochets you can do in a three minutes time. Okay, and so how many could you the do? The best I've done was 101 okay. in three minutes' time. But all I needed was 92 and a half to win the first one. Okay. And I think that I did a little bit less the second time. Um, but um, in terms of, like, best overall record, I think it's 101 best overall record. Okay. Okay. So, well, that's I mean, something that would you, would you defend it again if they had another competition? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little tired of it, I admit. Yeah. You know, when you have to wake up at 3 in the morning and get into full makeup and, and stuff to get to a studio uh, by 4.30 in the morning and then crochet for two hours straight on a TV news show and not get paid for it? Yeah, I can get see Get kind of tired. I can, I can totally see. So maybe if someone puts some money behind it, they can get you back out there. <laughs> that, I think, so if anyone's listening and wants Lily back to uh, defend her title, sponsor her. <laughs> <laughs> And let's see how fast she really can go. <laughs> well, that's good incentive, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah now I'm putting a little pressure on you. So if someone comes forward with some cash, you know. <laughs> if crochet was in dire need of some publicity because it's really, really dying and nobody wants to pick up the hook again, then I would reconsider <laughs> that, okay? Okay, well, that's good enough for me, you know. <laughs> well, Lily, thank you so much for your generosity of time today. I really appreciate it, and I've enjoyed hearing you know, from you, and you know, I think this is our, the listeners at home are going to enjoy this too. So uh, unless there's something else that you want to say or something I didn't ask you, um, I can let you get on with your, your night of crocheting or knitting or whatever you have planned. Um, everybody, 
take it as your personal responsibility to constantly be promoting these crafts. How's that? That sounds great. I'm fully behind you on that. Okay, thank yeah. you, Jennifer. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Okay, good night. Bye. Thank you, Lily, for giving us that guided tour of your life as a designer, and uh, we really appreciate that. If you'd like to get in on the drawing for the free book, Couture Crochet Workshop by Lily Chin, to enter, all you have to do is post a comment on craftsanity.com below the podcast write-up. If you're having trouble finding it, since I have been blogging all the time, I'm trying to blog every day, so the podcast write-up is not the top entry usually. So click on the podcast archive at the top of the page, and the first one there on the top for the duration of this contest will be Lily Chin. And then please copy your post, whatever your comment is, uh, into an email. Just do a copy-paste and send that to Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. And please include your snail mail address in the email that you send to me so I can get the book to you as quick as possible after we draw the winner. I really would appreciate that. It just makes my life a little bit easier when I'm trying to follow up on all these last-minute details. I'd also like to remind you that the deadline to enter to win the ham and cheese sandwich made of felt by the wonderfully talented Hillary Seabolt is February 3rd as well. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was episode 66, and Hillary makes these just delightful food items and um, that can either be toys for your children or uh, something to sit on your desk. We've had a lot of entries, but we're not going to pick a winner until February 3rd, so feel free to get in on that action. The question I asked for that was just what kind of food you'd like to see made of felt. And you can go back to the website and see the contest guidelines on that. And um, I think that's it. I I have a few comments uh, for the after show, but I'm going to let you get on with your day. Those of you who want to stick around, feel free. And I'll be back next week. In the meantime, don't forget to craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sandy on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sandy store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSandy.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sandy. Okay, those of you who've stuck around, I'm just gonna make this. I'm gonna make this quick. Um, I learned recently how to make fabric postcards and really think it's pretty cool and thought it'd be fun to do a little swap. So if uh, you're interested in getting in a, it'll be a a swap that I don't want to stretch it out too long. So I'm looking to have a kind of quick turnaround where I'll set a deadline and then assign names. But first I'm looking to gauge interest. Just want to see if folks are interested. So if you are interested in being part of a fabric postcard swap, uh, Craft Sanity's first ever swap, which I'm thinking this could be really fun. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into, though, as far as um, the organizational, you know, things that go on behind the scenes with these swaps. But um, I've been in some swaps, and I think it's my turn to step up and organize one, so that's what I'm going to do. So at this point, I'm kind of just exploring the interest. I put something on my blog uh, just this morning and did get one response already. Uh, thank you, Carrie, for responding. I hear you and uh, know you're interested, and hope several others of you are interested too. I have uh, some directions that I'll be posting on the site, so just shoot me an email, jennifer at craftsanity.com, just put postcard swap in the subject line, and I'll, uh, or you can just leave a comment on the blog, and I'll 
make a decision by the end of this week. Also looking ahead, I'm going to be um, organizing a pen pal exchange. Now, this is going to be different because this is going to be just letters. We're talking old-fashioned letters, We're, like, you know, pen to paper, no email, no typing, just handwriting. That's kind of a little preview to my next podcast. We're going to be talking about letter writing. The Grand Rapids Craft Club, we had our first workshop, and it was an assemblage workshop. It was uh, last Tuesday, and I was a little nervous because I'd never organized anything like this before, and put it in the paper, and people signed up, and people brought things out of their junk drawers from their kitchens, and um, think little trinkets they'd saved up, and they learned from a man named Tom Casaletto. He's a local artist and former philosophy professor here in Grand Rapids, and he led the workshop, and it was just delightful. We had a great time. You know, it was wonderful to see, you know, kind of sit back and watch and these people who are strangers when they entered the room coming with, the, you know, they're bearing their boxes of, you know, assorted things from their junk drawers and um, watching people kind of connect with each other in the room and, and getting to watch the artists connect and kind of feel like, you know, get a little bit of, of a boost off the fact that, that people were coming to see him. That was really pretty fun to watch that and put together a scenario where that could happen because that's always been my dream to fill a room with people making stuff that's starting to happen here in Grand Rapids I I really still can't believe it so on Tuesday nights I meet with an ever-changing group of people um, you know people come when they can I have met some just wonderful people in this group and it's been such a treat to to look forward to that every Tuesday night so and thank you to my husband for helping work out the family logistics so I can be there on Tuesday nights. So if anyone's local, if you're in Grand Rapids, Tuesday nights, the David D. Hunting YMCA, 630, we meet every single week, and sometimes we move around to different rooms, but just ask at the front desk, and they will get you to us. And we're actually talking about planning a, a show, an art craft show. And I have these big, huge plans to make it like this big, huge deal, you know, on the same s scale as like Renegade or you know, bizarre, bizarre, and I mean, I know I'm, I mean, that's, that's probably very ridiculous on my part to be thinking that big right now, but, um, so it will probably be much smaller, smaller than that, but I'm really excited about the possibilities of showing people just how crafty and artistic Grand Rapids folks are. What I would love to see is people coming from outside of West Michigan to be part of this, so I'll keep you posted on that. Yeah, as far as my projects go, I'm working on a felted purse right now. I interviewed somebody for my craft column for next week, and I'm trying that pattern out. My uh, big cape project uh, hasn't really materialized um, yet, so I do still have high hopes for it. And my organizing is going a little slower than I would like, but uh, I need to ramp things up. Uh, put on my jeans the other day, and uh, they still fit, but I was like, you know... I really need to ramp things up because I was, you know, thinking I'm going to run the 25K again, Riverbank run here in West Michigan, and I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to do the Grand Rapids Marathon again after that. I'll see how my, how my legs feel after that Riverbank run. But decided yesterday after I did kind of an indoor triathlon, it was just me in the race. So I just swam for a couple thousand yards and then biked for only five, and then I did like a 5K on the uh, treadmill. So I did it all in a row. I looked ridiculous on the bike because I had like big goggle marks. So it looked like on my way from the pool to the <laughs> to the bike, someone had you know punched me out and like gave me a black eye on both sides. Um, 
so I was a scary looking woman on this exercise bike and and then I got off the bike and went right next door to a treadmill you know and was running I did this at the Y and I, this is the first time I've ever done kind of a mock uh, triathlon um, it was challenging but I like it I like the whole challenge of it so I think that's what I'm gonna set my sights on and my physical goal for this year is going to be compete in some triathlons this summer so I'm gonna ramp things up as far as my training goes to figure out a what I'm doing because I have no idea when it comes to triathlon training um, I have to work with the nerve to swim outside which I'm yeah that's gonna be probably the hardest part for me I love swimming but I don't like swimming in yucky water so you know brown water that I can't see yeah that's gonna be it's gonna take some serious disassociation techniques to um, I think I'll swim faster because I I will not like the substance in which I'm swimming so um, thankfully we don't have sharks in Michigan because I have a hard time working up the nerve to swim in like Hawaii even though that Iron Man race looks like quite a an adventure um, I'm just not there yet I don't know that I'll ever be there anyway I plan to have some fun with that so that's kind of an update on how things are going and uh, yeah just trying to keep the craft column going and uh, remember what day it is you know spinning a lot of plates and trying not to let any of them break but um, I'm having fun I'm having a lot of fun so uh, and I've really enjoyed all the email that I've received from you um, I really think that's great and I try to respond as promptly as I can uh, I'm not always successful in responding promptly, but know that I read every single email that comes in, and I love hearing from you. And as usual, if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way. And yeah, I think that's it. I think I've run out of things to say at this point. So uh, I'm going to head out on a little mini shopping trip with the girls and come back to work some more on this podcast. So you guys have a fantastic week, and I'll be back soon with another episode of Craft Sanity. Until then, happy crafting, everyone.